I've had a request for all five, but we don't all know them, so the first and the last verses are the rap tag. Hello and welcome to That Option No Longer Exists, the podcast that is really pleased about the coronavirus because now all of primetime television has exactly the same production values as us. Uh, <laughs> that is absolutely true, isn't it? Um, the only thing I can promise you is my son's already in bed asleep, so he's not going to be creeping in behind me. Um, that was, uh, yes, my, my name is uh, John Bounds. With me, you can hear over there, Adam Juniper. I'm on the left of the Labour Party, probably the extreme hard left now, because things yeah. seem to be oh, changing. Yeah. And uh, isolated, don't you? over um, there is uh, Adam Juniper, a returnee in the, the brave new world. And I, the, yeah. I would argue I stayed very much in the same place and the party came back to me. Um but yeah, Annalise Dodds is. Uh, I've met Annalise Dodds a few times. She's a nice person, but she was sub- subject to the. She's now, uh, as in in these today's Zoom world, we are now all the BBC um, interviewee from South Korea um, with um, children bursting in on our Zoom calls. I love the way you say that, as if that's like a really old reference rather than just slightly older than today. But yes, we're recording in lockdown. We're recording as Boris Johnson is in a slightly different bed again. I mean, like three beds in a day. That's um, not unusual for Boris. Uh, but I but now... You were going there. I, I just wanted to be sure. Uh, but, well, I, I found myself really in a, in a bit of trouble about that one because, you know, we've been looking at Boris and we've been saying there is a man from the 1% or at least the top 1% or 3% from society. And now I'm finding myself thinking, wouldn't it be a shame if he was in that one or three percent who you know i don't wish physical ill on anybody certainly not somebody who's going to be replaced by dominic rob if they go it's like the, there's um you know you're aware of penn and teller the magicians i am the one that talks out of penn and teller says luck is just taking statistics personally <laughs> and um, what Boris Johnson is now learning is that some statistics, herd immunity statistics, etc., should be taken personally. And um, I wish and hope that he lives to uh, understand that and see the error of his many ways. My current hobby is watching the sports bit on the news going, that's not essential work, why have you gone outside the house? <laughs> but the... They, um, um, they do look very awkward, don't they? Because they have to fill exactly the same time slot. Just the same as the uh, the weather moron stands there for two minutes going, look, it's really nice out, but don't go out. But it's really nice, but don't go. Don't go. Don't even think about it. But this is what you'll see out of the window. So that's the word. That's the world we're, we're seeing. But in this episode of the podcast, Adam, I wanted to talk about the world we're leaving I mean, many of us may think we're being carried over the River Styx uh, in political terms at the moment. In fact, I genuinely thought that the the election on Saturday, it made me feel worse than the virus. Not as bad as the general election, but it made me feel worse than the virus. Um, So you you survived the virus? I mean, it made me feel worse uh, mentally than the virus's existence. But... um, it's it's not a good time, but I'd like to think about happier times with you, Adam. I'd like to think about that time since the the, the Corbyn era, as it were, as we uh, draw a veil over it. 
I really want to talk to you about how you think the party's changed since 2015. Okay, so we're going to be clear on to, since 2015 and since uh, Ed returning today, Miliband is, uh, uh, you know, not not counting his little jaunt. So the Corbyn era, what has changed? What has changed? Well, I think the Corbyn era most directly is responsible for the current government and its strength. Um, and that's the thing I am, you know, most solidly feel uncomfortable about. So there's no getting over that. There's no getting over my instinctive feeling that Corbyn is what maybe didn't lose the election, but certainly lost it by that margin. Uh, and Corbyn failed in the Brexit referendum. Now, I know you're going to disagree with me on that one as well. So from my point of view... Corbyn leaves a legacy of Brexit and a severely damaged Labour Party. So, I heard someone having I heard someone having a go at Len McCluskey the other day. Uh, wise, very wise behaviour. I've got I've got I like Len. I've got a lot of money time for bags. Len. Len. The question they asked was: Len McCluskey has spent hundred thousand pounds or, or whatever the figure was on attempting to get Rebecca Long Bailey made leader and that didn't happen and they've spent millions over the past four years on the Labour Party and on Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party and the question was and what has he what has he got from that and the answer is he's got a Labour Party where the baseline policies are anti-austerity anti-illegal wars and pro-worker and the Labour Party in 2015 at the end of the Miliband era, was not that. And all of those things are good. All of those things are very good for Unite members. So, money well spent. Well, no, they're not. If they're in the party of opposition, they're not. I, I believe the argument you're attempting to express is, at least if somebody is making that argument, then the politics will shift in that direction. No, I'm making the I'm making the point there is no point having a Labour Party that is pro-austerity, not pro-worker, and pro-illegal war. So I'm fairly I, happy that... I, don't, I mean, I don't wholly agree. I think that the problem is that those things are all... They're not binary. So you could have a Labour Party... If, if the only Labour Party that would be elected was pro-mild austerity and the Tories were pro-strong austerity, then actually you'd want the mild austerity party. How many people do you want to die? <sighs> See, you can What's be all dramatic about level? it. You can be all dramatic about it in language terms when it comes to austerity deaths, but you know what's going on now. Well, these are, for a large part, austerity deaths because they are deaths that talk about lack of um, public service uh, pay, their lack of public service staffing, lack of public service resources, lack of public service control, lack of public service preparedness, all of things that have lessened due to austerity. So, I mean, we can talk graphs, and I know it's the the Tory um, idea now at the moment that you're going to um, say, oh, some of these people would have died anyway. Well, let's look at the, the marginal difference, as it were. Well, let's look at the marginal difference due to austerity and see how many thousands, even aside the idea that the government have made the wrong calls on this, even if they'd made all the right calls 
from the start of the pandemic, the underfunding and the marketization and the trouble that the NHS and other public services has put in has caused deaths and will cause deaths. I find it hard to disagree with that because it's it's so clearly true, especially in what we will deliberately use the generous term the government prefers, efficiency of the NHS, having only just what you need to get through, uh, is a rather exposed when things get a, a bit surprising. It's, uh, you know, in a similar way to the way the US has cut back its um, pandemic bureau or whatever it is, just before they suddenly need it. But let's rewind. Um, in the late summer of uh, 2015, there was a People's Assembly Against Austerity March. Um, I was on it. It was very good. It was very lighthearted. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was just after the Panama Papers had uh, come out, I think, because I had an amusing banner with a picture of David Cameron with the caption Panama Twat on it. <laughs> what moved me to tears, and I've I've been moved to tears numerous times by uh, Jeremy over the last four years, five years, and but it wasn't Jeremy at this at uh, this march. It was it was John. It was John McDonnell, and a thing he said. Uh, from the, the, the platform in Trafalgar Square post this march was essentially that no more would you have a Labour Party that prevaricated about being on the side of the worker. They would be there on the streets, on the picket lines, with us. That, that, made, that made me cry and that made me love him and made me love the the party again, because I've told you before that the reason I briefly left the Labour Party was I like Ed Miliband. I'm happy Ed Miliband's back. Um, I quite often wanted Ed Miliband to be back. There were rumours of him coming back at, at different points under under Corbyn, and I wanted him back. But I, Ed Miliband is about as far right as I can tolerate politically. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's, I, that's going to be make it very uncomfortable living in the UK, isn't it? But, but Ed, Ed, under pressure, wouldn't support the Heathrow baggage handlers when they went out on strike um, during his um, during his tenure as Labour leader, and that's the biggest mistake. And this was one of the things that came up in the Labour leadership that, that Lisa Nandy was suggesting that. Um, Labour shouldn't take the binary position of always supporting the striker and. The idea that the Labour Party, funded as it, funded as it is and founded as it was, as a political wing of the trade union movement, should not do that, is breathtaking. I see what you're saying, but what if the worker went for something unreasonable? Like, say one particularly affiliated union decided that it was only reasonable that their employees were paid... Um, in fact, they're only their members and not the other employees were paid £300,000 a year um, when everyone else was being paid 30 or something. That is the, the dichotomy of uh, trade unionism and why we need to bring trade unions into the, um, into the 21st century a little bit because too long have they been exclusionary and um, isolationist. You can't have, I think, I think you can't have workers' solidarity in one union. To be fair to exactly, to be fair to Lisa Nandy, I think she was trying to 
give voice to the concern that maybe non-unionised voters have, who are people you're going to need to win over next time out? Well, I bollocks. But um, I, I, oh, you still don't want to win, right? Right. Um, I want to talk about not how you think Jeremy's failed, and I don't think I don't think Brexit is a useful discussion because Jeremy definitely did fail on Brexit eventually, but it was due to having the wrong policies post Brexit, perhaps, or the wrong messages post Brexit, rather than the the wrong messages pre-Brexit, because let's think about this. The um, If only you had a example of how the soft left pressured by the old and hard right of Labour would handle an in-out independence referendum and whether or not that would come out well for Labour. If only you had a recent historical example of how the soft left and hard right, pressured by the hard right of Labour, would handle an in-out independence referendum. If only if you had the... I'm William the, Wallace. Exactly. Where we're going? No, but if <laughs> if only you had an example... Yeah, they could... The, the, Miller, Miller, if they'd have done the same thing in 2016 that they'd done in 2014 in Scotland, we would have, we would have faced a similar wipeout. I don't, I don't know about that. It's you know, for one thing, you know that the voting in Scotland and the voting in England is different. I think um, it was it was difficult because of Corbyn's history. He couldn't come round and be appear to support the government. Um, a lot of the internal party discomfort already existed and he very much allied himself with what I would view as the wrong side of it when it comes to EU membership um, so I think that he had to make calculations and I think he possibly reasoned that people would buy the whole seven tenths argument um, seven out of ten and and that you know was quite a sophisticated sort of argument that should have worked in a way with public and I you know I can imagine myself being there as the advisor saying no no you've got to say this you're leveling with them they'll get it it just didn't work and and it was death but I would I it, it's entirely possible that Jeremy overstated his support on the last leg um, well I think I think that's the other thing is everyone suspected he overstated his support when he said that because he viewed the uh, European Union as an evil right-wing organization the EU that's now basically killing refugees. It's yeah. I, I I find it an impossible organisation to defend. Um, I, I, I well, you I've, obviously never went to Britain into Europe when you were at school. It was great. There were girls and everything. I can't remember. I can't. I can't remember if it was. I think it was like fifth year or sorry, um, year eleven. And, um, you know what? Actually, talking on that point, this is a complete non-political aside. You know the, the front of diaries where they've got metric to imperial conversion tables. Yeah, they should definitely have the school year conversion tables because I've got no idea how old a child is when they tell me what year they're in at school anymore. All right, um, but that was like your last year of your normal school before you did your A levels. Right. Okay. And it was either then or the one before GCSE territory. Um, 
And yeah, it's, that is a good idea, especially since they change it so often. Uh, anyway, we all got taken to Brussels for a week and, and met other kids from the other schools and uh, went around and saw Europe being Europe and then, you know, tried to get booze and fags. <laughs> Let's flip this round, Adam. Ways in which Jeremy and John and Diane and Richard and Rebecca I've and keep, Kat and, 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 and Ian and all the all the lads and lasses and, and, and Dawn have improved this party in the last five years because they've got to be some, haven't they? For you? Well, I think that actually you can look at, I mean, and it could go one of two ways now, but you can look at a really encouraging engagement with a membership base who I hope to God don't view Jeremy as a godlike character, but are more engaged with politics than they would have been otherwise and are going to carry on with that engagement in the party. I've seen one or two people on Twitter saying, you know, they want to leave after the democratic result of the choice of the leadership of the Labour Party but I've also seen people saying they're going to come back to the party um, in either case I think it's going to be great to see those people who still had hope who I remember from the last general election out there campaigning I hope they don't go away just because things look a little more efficient and and be honest you know Corbyn brought more of those more recently than, well, any time since early Blair. There's, well, I, I, I think there's a, I don't want people to leave the party either. And yes, uh, the, the enthusiasm, if not over democratisation, which I think with the, the lack of which was, I think, a little bit of a failure of the, the left project, um, is interesting is, how they had the same failure when they were in power as they uh, complained about when they were not in power. In, indeed, and I think this is—it's—I'm not, you know, I'm—it's not a cult, and um, it's not a cult. And I, there are things, there are absolutely things that they got wrong, and the internal democracy argument is that it, it was a real problem. They they uh, they compromised on the wrong things. But what I was saying, well, yes, and it's great that enthusiasm, and, and purely in financial terms, which I'm sure you appreciate, the difference between 150,000 members and 600,000 members is huge. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's there's some maths there to be had for sure. Um, I, mean, in, I could have a 600,000 user website. Yeah, talk about statistically how many people are leaving. And purely, I know, purely from my branch, which is the very small branch, the um, around about 1% of people have communicated that they have left. I imagine double that again have just cancelled direct debits. So maybe 3%. Um, but which is disappointing in in particular some of those you know some of those people you would really really like to stay but the, the it's, that's not a huge amount let's face it um no. and I, and that's, but i mean that's encouraging the other things that are encouraging for the future about the results are just how devastating it was for long bailey um 
like it's you know it wasn't a narrow victory pushed over the line by the entryists was it um it was quite a lot of people coming together thinking the same thing uh, well that's and now now we've got to hope they're right well i think that is i hope what is my hope at least is that that means that those people that switched because they did switch and you can see that in the numbers didn't say anything else those people that switched from full-throated support of jeremy corbyn to this time voting for keir starmer and that's about hundred thousand probably something like that mm. um those people you i hope that they are believing keir starmer when he says that the policy platform was not problematic that's as what a, I hope. As a, I mean, because yeah, the alternative is that they're just sexists, right? Well, the the alternative is that they're sex. The alternative is that they are. Um, well, I don't. I don't know. The alternative Actually, is no, that not, that's not fair. In a in a non gender biased world, the alternative is also that they've looked at the field and seen Keir as the obvious leader, um, in the same way as they maybe looked at the previous field and saw Jeremy as the obvious leader, and in fact. At the actual previous field, I mean, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, the idea is that I think there's to a the best case scenario is that Keir Starmer absolutely means what he says in a, on a in a policy way. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario is we've just identified a hundred thousand people who are prime candidates for the wallet inspector. It's <laughs> just um, because. Um, ostensibly, uh, the the 2017 manifesto, which Keir has outright supported, and the 2019 manifesto, which um, is can be seen in some ways an update for that. And there's no rolling back on the Green New Deal, for example. You, the idea that Labour could roll back on that is, um, well, that would be death. That's that's um, pacification straight there. But, um, so, so why didn't Rebecca Long Bailey get environment? Well, I th- I think she needed to be um, pushed to the. Well, environment isn't the environment isn't environment isn't the environment. If you see what anymore, the Green New Deal has to come from business um, uh, innovation and skills or whatever it's oh, called yeah, these which days. Which she also didn't get. No, well, it, it, but no, it, but the man's not a bad um, uh, appointment there, but. Um, it's uh, it's someone it's someone who's tackled that brief who is is very um, conservant uh, with it. He's, he policy wise a far better uh, in business and environment uh, minister than he would ever have been a, a leader probably because um, you know those are his particular areas of interest. But the I think if you, if if you believe. Keir, that, that he's steadfast on that policy platform, then that's that's all about those people genuinely, yeah, looking at the, I don't know, the the makeup of the the person and their comm skills or whatever, and believing that, and but disappointing perhaps that they have taken the the thought that. Um, that it was Jeremy doing things badly rather than Jeremy being painted badly. Perhaps they fear that feel re- perhaps they're open to the media wallet inspectors that pretend uh, they're not going to treat care badly, and it's already started that they will. 
Well, it'll be, I'm sure we'll see soon enough. Uh, it's a very difficult time to inherit the job, isn't it? Um, coronavirus and everything. There's no... You can't easily follow a precedent. He can't do the thing of popping out like uh, Blair did and everyone broadly agreeing that he'd get the job in uh, in four years' time. It's, But he, he has to... I think the the big challenge for him is not actually how he he, he deals with this. I was going to say he doesn't even know who he's going to be fighting against now, Dominic Raab. That I think that would make it easier, frankly. But the yeah, I'm... but what he's um, but uh, the challenge is is not how you deal with the next um, six months. The challenge is how you deal with the the radical policy agenda that's needed. Because Christ, if you think coronavirus is bad. Let's take a look at climate change, and before you can get on to truly enjoying climate change, um, you're going to be picking up the pieces from a pretty devastating uh, economic nasty type nastiness after the coronavirus, and you'll need to fix the climate at the same time. Well, luckily, most of the solutions are the same, and they are all about. Uh, is, is it the one that coronavirus is currently taking to humanity? Is that the solution to the environmental trouble? The, the solution, let's be honest, is in the frame of the Green New Deal. It is radical left-wing reorganisation of how the economy works because you need... And this is probably, this is hopefully, something that the, the crisis can teach people. And, um, you know, you need to organise it on socialist lines. And I think you've suggested adam that um jeremy's handling of the coronavirus was not a good end to his um to his oh, premiership yes. or was not perceived you, as yes. a good end it, it was not a good move it was just bad politics i mean it might have been a perfectly reasonable point i sympathize with it but it's just you don't say that sort of thing when people are dying around you don't go oh yeah look everyone would have had to do exactly these policies i said so because the point is that these policies would have not been brought in by this government had there not been a major coronavirus and everyone knows that so that everyone also knows that corbyn or you know that means their last view of corbyn is a whinging old man making an inaccurate point and that that seems a shame to me because even i with by many many distrusts and dislikes of him feel that there might have been something to be said for that side of the party having a spell in leadership and you know you should at the very least don't be a dick when you leave I I, I did not see that at all and I, I think the the idea that um, I know there's been a lot of sort of uh, laughter from certain sections of the commentary or whatever from um, the idea that Labour won the argument but they did win the argument on austerity, or at least it's remained... Yes, but you can understand why that was a meant... OK, arguably Labour won the argument, and arguably it's proven, but neither of those are set, neither of those are true. Oh, it did, and, indeed. And Labour obviously didn't win the argument, or they'd have won the election, because that's what the argument was about. No, the argument was they about... Might... Bre- the argument of the election was about Brexit, so... OK, we which didn't Labour win. also lost. No, we totally lost that. Partly due to Keir Starmer, I would say, but the but the argument on austerity, I would say that we we say we've won it, and the the problem is actually with saying that we've won it, is that obviously um, there is no ultimate victory, there is no ultimate defeat, only the same battle over and over again. But the is 
the the uh, for example George Osborne was on the radio yesterday uh, Saturday lunchtime being asked because he was praising Keir Starmer bizarrely uh, enough or the, it was the person Radio Four had chosen to interview to about Keir Starmer but the the idea that he was ba- he was basically being asked would you do austerity after the coronavirus dip and the answer is yes he would and if George Osborne, of course, often now seen as quite a liberal Tory compared to the ones we've got in power. So the yeah. argument, the argument does not. The argument was one, is one, is currently one, is it? one, but Sorry, will it remain the, one? The, Os- the Osborne aside, you know, because yeah, because at the time he was seen as the you know the Antichrist and all the rest of it. But even he wouldn't do any of those things just for the hell of it. He did it because you know, however misguided, he thought. He was doing something for the, you know, economic benefit or for the advantage in the long run. I, I like mean, I, I, I to pay your credit cards off early. No, I, 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 do you be, genuinely believe he was that ignorant of how the global economy actually works? Yes, I think that's how they all think the economy actually works. They're wrong, though, aren't they? Eh. Incredibly so. You well, can't we actually just wait for a major historical event to come along and then we can change the economy and pretend the previous one wasn't happening. All of the economies are going wrong up until something interesting happens. World War One, World War Two, coronavirus. Well, capitalism, uh, capitalism moves towards crises. That's what it does. Um, capitalism is inherently unstable. Um, oh yes, but capitalism needs little crisis on a daily basis to you know to keep moving along. Well, it needs it needs waves it of crisis. Doesn't dealing with, does it? it? Note that this is all about refreshing. Um, uh, the Stereo Lab song "Ping Pong" will explain this to you if you're struggling because it's all about Konkratiev waves, which are sort of long waves of uh, capitalism lasting about sixty years or so. Um, after which, it needs a major crisis like a war. Or uh, or a crash, something like that, to reset itself. Um, uh, we've unfortunately the problem is now that the the gaps between these crises are shrinking. Uh, so we we essentially get to be in permanent crises. Is that because we as a race have become so advanced and powerful, and because of our computers? No, it's because capitalism is inherently unstable, and uh, we are living during the uh, the end times. Ah, either well, of the, at we least can choose. Place for Neil Gaiman. We can choose. We can choose. Is this the end? Are these the end times of capitalism or of the human race? We can choose. What do you reckon we'll choose? My money is on capitalism. Human cap- race. Yeah, capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the ballot box, definitely. The um, um, there's nothing. There's nothing about nothing apart from uh, being. Uh, locked up with continual government press conferences to let you make you feel quite apocalyptic and uh, depressed and pessimistic. Yeah, it's a good thing that there aren't more people with access to guns in this country. Oh, for, I mean, I've, I've been collecting milk bottles and petrol. But the... Uh, so, OK, we're, we're going to draw We're going to draw this little review of the, the, the Corbyn project. Well, I, before you do, I was going to ask you if there's anything... Other than the words "green, new, and deal," um, that you think leaves a, a good taste in the mouth, and maybe one that you think can be enjoyed by the party as a whole, rather than the thirty percent or so who voted for Rebecca Long Bailey. 
Increase, I mean, increased membership, active uh, CLPs, um, the uh, the absolute huge campaigning um, might and flexibility and agility that Momentum brought. Um, that ground game, even if we didn't learn uh, well Any enough... Any lessons? Like no, you know, even, put people. even if we didn't learn from um, from Bernie and the, the, the Americans um, sort of distributed organising stuff, even if we didn't learn from that... Um, the 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 sort of momentum behind the momentum's digital campaigning will not be lost because uh, actually to a certain extent Keir Starmer's right wing campaign organisers managed to harness a little bit of that during this leadership election so these skills will not um, will not go away um, we have totally and utterly I say we as a, the left have totally shifted the debate possibly externally but certainly within the party um on numerous issues um the 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 the, the, the you know our baselines now are uh I, I, even if there's pushback on student fees our baselines are essentially education should be free our baseline is um we absolutely need to make um benefits uh livable on we this is not was not rachel reeves's position we we absolutely need to make um work you know to democratize um workplaces we absolutely need to have some form of public control over utilities and that includes broadband we app we've moved on um international relations to a a far more um i would say uh far less uh, imperialist um stance because when we when we look at it the the idea that um uh labor to a certain extent up to up to 2010 certainly was was it was a sort of colonialist imperialist organization that um, is always something we've got to fight against, but that's not the default anymore. And um, the what is true, even of the PLP now, uh, the PLP now has more overt socialists in it than it did. But here's the important thing: the soft left, um, and I don't, in my head at least, I don't take the soft left to mean these people are not quite as left. The soft left is not the soft left is not about how left they are. The soft left is about how steadfast they are in their leftness. Uh, and a uh, lot of a lot soft of the, like me, I can be bullied around by your well, they are the, talk. Well, well, that, that, communist talk. Sorry. So this is the the. I thought there isn't really such a thing as a soft right, but yeah, but the soft the, the soft the, so some of those soft left people have now had five years of seeing that quite radical left-wing policies are not only can, can implement- lead to the sort of situation in Venezuela implementable but popular genuinely popular in the country because if you uh, with this I don't agree with the 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 way this sort of shit is polled but um if you look at nationalization of the rail for example that was see that would have been seen as a an a possibly hard left ask but now that's fairly mainstream politics. That's the sort of thing the soft left go for because they think it's electable. So they've been drawn left uh, 
even if the even if the sort of hard right and the the Blairite switch isn't necessarily a category, but the, you know what I mean. Even if they've not moved, the centre of gravity in the parliamentary party definitely has. Okay, well, I, I think that sounds positive from your perspective. Okay, so a lot of people have um, Adam have been uh, asked this over the past six months or however the leadership contest has gone on. Um, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership marks out of ten. <laughs> Well, a bit of me wants to say he won the argument, uh, even though that obviously isn't true. We could say 7 out of 10, couldn't we? Since if you say 7 out of 10 about something, you don't really support it. I, well, I, I, there are things he got wrong, obviously, but sort of 8, 8.5, it's definitely a first. Uh, and I, I, I genuinely hope that... Um, and I, I wrote this in a mm. letter that I sent to, to Jez, um, and I hope... That, I hope that he he doesn't um, feel he needs to shy away from speaking his mind. And I, I genu- what I genuinely think the party needs is John McDonnell essentially to set up a think tank. Um, it's yeah, of, uh, John, John, Mc, John McDonnell's farm, or whatever it would uh, be called. And, my uh, 7 out of 10 is, is pure politeness for Corbyn, or the opportunity to trash him for the 7 out of 10 thing again. Honestly, I thought he was more in the 40, you know, 4 out of 10 territory. Um, but John McDonnell never seemed to put a foot wrong. He always seemed very good on camera. He always seemed quite rational. It always seemed like... I don't know. I, I don't want to draw a Brown-Blair comparison because, you know, Blair had the salesman skills. But, like, John McDonnell seemed to have all of the skill out of the two of them, yet wasn't the leader. Not likeable internally, which is probably why he failed in the leadership contest that he stood in. Um... But, uh, well, I personally would very much say thank you to John and, and to Jeremy and to all those that uh, stayed true. Uh, and I think there's a... We have a lot of um, strength, and I don't think we've got into the, the, the sort of meat of uh, the policy platform. It's only a short podcast, but the if, you've, if you have a, a sort of tanker like the Labour Party, and yet you managed to steer it in a fairly short period of time in such turbulent waters, uh, you've not done badly. Yeah, and they were steering that uh, that vessel all over the place. None of the um, pointing it hard at the iceberg and saying, I bet that's going to shift first, like Captain Smith. Owen Smith? the um... Captain Smith of the... Uh, no, yes, but, uh, the... <laughs> thank you, John. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, uh, Ian. Thank you, uh um, don't thank you all the the lads and the lasses of the of the ship. We'll uh, see you next time on uh, the option no longer exists. You can email us at uh, hello at that option uk. You can tweet us at that option pod. Uh, you can listen to any forthcoming podcasts that we have if we're still here, if we still survive, and uh, we'll speak to you very soon. Oh, yeah. You were rounding that off, really. I didn't need to say anything, did I?